I like to take my truck. I have a 2003 GMC uh, Sierra Denali, which in 2003, in fact, this is a, this is the cool thing about this truck. It's uh, it's quadra steer, which means the back tires move. They they turn like the front tires. They they move, and so they only made it for four years. They were so expensive that nobody wanted to buy them. It's fifty thousand dollar truck in 2003. I did not buy it in 2003. I bought it when it was $15,000. And I love this truck. It's leather and the seats warm up and, and it's got a kick and uh, cassette player in it. And it's really, really uh, a nice truck. And I can parallel park it anywhere and, uh, because the tires turn. And I, and I like to treat this truck with care. So I take it for oil changes to the dealership. And usually when I take it to the dealership, the guy's like, oh, man, quadrature. And like, yeah. And like, yeah. It makes me feel um, special, I guess. You know, and it's like, hey, thanks for noticing. And, and I like to take it to the dealership because I think they know what they're doing. And, and uh, so I get oil change. It costs me a little bit more, but I get a, I get a car wash and, and I might spend about 40 bucks on the whole deal, but you know, to me, it makes me feel special because I can go into a, uh, you know, the lounge and get something to drink and look at the, uh, the cars, and, and I, I kind of enjoy the experience. I read, though, this week that if you own a Bugatti, uh, it would cost you $20,000 to get the oil change. $20,000 for an oil change. Now, how do you explain that to your wife? Uh, what's this $20,000? Oh, I got the oil change. What? But that's true. It's twenty thousand dollars for an oil change, and if you want to get your tires changed, you're like it's. Gonna, uh, in fact, if you get your tires and and uh, wheels done, it's a hundred and twenty thousand dollars because Michelin had to create a special tire that would be able to not blow up at two hundred and fifty-three miles an hour. Hundred and twenty thousand dollars. That's about fifty grand more than my first house. That's crazy, right? It would cost you $350,000 just to pay the taxes on a Bugatti. <laughs> now, here's what I'm thinking. I'm guessing that if, if you own a Bugatti, that's great, but I'm guessing it's not your only car. You got others, right? It's not, having one Bugatti is not enough. You need more, right? And we all typically like, Absolutely. We, you know, there, there's something about wanting to have more. It's not just enough to have right, the most expensive car on the planet. Let's, let's have a few more and fill up the garages that we got. We think that somehow money's going to satisfy our little hearts, but truthfully, it just never delivers what it's promised. Now, I don't know if you have any cash. I should have some. I have, I have some money, which is surprising. Uh, Typically, I'm not allowed to have cash. <laughs> but on the, on, right, on your dollar bill, it says, some, I think this is bizarre, right? On your money, it says, in God we trust. Interesting, right? In God, we put that on our money as if we believe that, right? As if we really, truly believe that. Do you know that in 1957, Dwight Eisenhower, our president, got it through everything and passed the law, signed it into law, that in God we trust would go on our paper money. And it was really done because of the Cold War and the fact that we were up against the godless Soviet Union. And he wanted to make it very clear to everyone 
that that was what's going on. So he put it on a paper money. It started back in the 1860s uh, on a $2 uh, or two-cent uh, two piece. We put that in our, on our coins, on our two-piece two cent. But in, in 1957, President Eisenhower signed it into law that, in fact, the phrase, in God we trust, would be our country's motto. It's actually our motto. I didn't even know we had a motto. But we do. In fact, in 2006, the state of Florida also adopted it as their state motto. I found that fascinating. I didn't even know it, right? I don't, what's Nebraska's? In Scott we trust? I don't know. I don't, actually, I thought it was up to about four weeks ago. Okay. Nervousness, aren't we? In God we trust should be the motto of every Christ follower. Of every Christ follower. In God we trust. Now, we've been in a message series now. This is our fourth week on, on money. Thanks for showing back up, really. I was like, I'm nervous by the fourth week. Like, eh, I'm sitting this one out, right? And so here you are. We've been taking, some of you are like, I didn't know we were in a, no, that's all right. Um, we, we are, this, we're closing her down today. And I think this is the, the this is the whole thing, right? Is uh, we took a look at some passages of scriptures and about money. And last week we took a look at contentment. And today we're going to take a look at trust. To me, this is the whole thing. Ball, right? This is the big deal, right? If we, if, if we can't trust God, right? This is it, right? Can I trust Him? How do you know if you can trust anybody? It's hard to know. Can I trust anybody? Now, how do you learn to trust your boyfriend enough for when he says to you, uh, will you marry me? You say yes. And that's a big deal. And, and for some of you, like, how, how did you get to that point? For some of us, we ignored some stuff. We, we saw his abs and thought, I don't care. That's good. Because there were some little red flags coming up, right? During the dating years, we sure thought, oh, I don't know if that's quite right. Uh, he said he was going to be here, but he's here. And he, never, he said he wouldn't be talking to her anymore, but I don't know. And, but, whoa, he's awesome, oh, super hot, right? And we, we, oh, she's so gorgeous that we avoid some of the little things that were being like, oh, I don't know. If I can trust, right? I don't know if I can trust her. Trust has to take some time, right? We, but it's not, it's not a first date kind of thing, right? Like you go on a date and like the guy says to you, well, this has gone pretty well. Would you like to get married? I mean, I think you'd probably run, like run away. You would not like, what are you talking about? Or maybe, I, I, I know sometimes people, you know, right away, like Linda knew right away. I knew right away. It's like, of course you would. How would you not know? <laughs> How do you trust your children, right? How do you learn to trust them? Because as parents, as they grow up, you are hopefully being able to give them a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more trust. And truly, you want to be able to do that. You don't want to clamp down all the time. You don't want to hover around them. You don't want to follow them on their app like you would ever do that. Right? Because we want to know, will, can, right? can I trust her? Will she do what she said she was going to do? Be with who she said we should, right? And all that stuff takes some time. How, do you, how can you trust, right, an employee? Well, it takes a while. Are they trustworthy? 
a business partner? See, I think trust is the most fragile ingredient in every relationship. It's not a matter of love. Love what? Love is resilient. Love endures. Lo right? Because I've, I've talked with lots of people who says, you know what? I can't trust him. I still love him, but I can't trust him. I, still, I love her, but I can't trust her, right? Because love is resilient. But trust is massively fragile. And it doesn't take a whole lot to blow that thing up. That's why I try to do my very best to set up some boundaries or some guardrails in my relationship with my wife. I want her to be able to trust me. And by, in fact, I want to have complete freedom to be able to do and go as I please. That only comes from being trustworthy. We probably all have been in relationships where, you know, we don't enjoy the freedom that comes with a trusting relationship. So how do I know if I can trust God? I mean, how do you, do, how do you decide that? How do you decide that you can trust God? Well, somehow you have to be able to kind of like, well, I... You know, the Bible, I'm going to have to believe that the Bible is true, and I'm going to have to try to figure that out, right? And so if I don't believe the Bible is true, then it's going to be very difficult to trust God. But, but, but let's just pretend that it's true, right? And so, okay, he's there. there or, well, let's just pretend that uh, I got to, well, I got to figure it out if, if, if what is said in the Bible is real, right? So, in fact, to me, the massive question I have to answer is, since Jesus claimed to be God in the Bible, right, and he's walking around, he says, I am I'm the Son of God, and, by the way, I'm going to die, and I'm going to come back. To me, everything kind of hinges on that, because if, that w if, if he doesn't do that, right, he's just lying, and I can't trust him. So if Jesus is just lying to me about the whole resurrection thing, then, then we tap out like, I don't want to do this anymore because he's untrustworthy. But if he did come back from the grave, hmm, okay, well, and if he never lied and he never, right, he always was trustworthy, then, then I can, I, I should investigate. Romans 3, chapter 21 or Romans 3, verse 21 says, But now God has shown us a different way to heaven, not by being good enough and to try and keep his laws. Some of you are still trying to do that, by the way. You think that if you're good and like you're, 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 you're a decent, moral, for the most part, person. You're, in fact, you're better than some others. And you kind of know that. You look around the crowd today and go, oh, I think I'm in. If these people are in, I'm in. You know. <laughs> right? And so you're kind of basing it on your goodness. That's not how it works. And trying to keep his laws. But a new way, though not new really, for scriptures told us about it long ago. Now, God says he will accept us and acquit us and declare us not guilty. There's, there's the good news. Going to accept me and acquit me and declare me not guilty of all the dumb stuff I've done and the sinful things I've meant. If, what, now God says he will accept and acquit and declare us not guilty. If, so let's go ahead and circle the word if. That should be right. There it is. If we trust Jesus to take away our sins. If I trust Jesus to take away my sins, he's going to acquit me and accept me and declare me not guilty. Yep. 
Can I trust that statement? Right? I do I trust that statement? And all, and we all can be saved in the same way by coming to Christ no matter who we are or what we've been like. But it does not matter what our past is like, all the dumb stuff we did. I can be, what, declared not guilty because I trusted Jesus? Yep. So there's the big question. Can I trust him? So let me ask you that, this. If you can trust Jesus with your salvation, are you willing to trust him with your money? Right? If I can trust him with the heaven thing and the forgiveness thing, can I trust what he says about money? Well, I don't know. I mean, what's he say about money? Well, we've been taking a look at some of that. But today we're going to take a look at some big things he says. Proverbs 3. Can I trust God? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. Then he, so here's the condition. If I honor the Lord with my wealth and the best part of everything I produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now, is he just is he just is he kidding on that? Is he is he just kind of phone, uh, giving us a whole bunch of eh, right? or is he telling us the truth? Will if I on so the word honor, what does that mean? It means to keep an agreement. It, we really could say trust the Lord with your wealth. Uh, trust the Lord with my wealth. In God, we uh, there it is again. So the way I honor God is that I will bring the best part of my, what? I will bring the best part of everything I produce. Whatever I produce, I, I bring the best part of that. Now, you need to know this about me. And actually, I don't think you need to know this. Well, you kind of do. Because if you invite me over to your house, here's kind of what I'm expecting. Like, it's like, hey, Mark, can you and Linda come over for dinner? Like, yep. Here's what I'm expecting. Actually, here's what I'm not expecting. I don't expect you to serve me leftovers. Right? You wouldn't serve me leftovers. Like, hey, we had this last night. Didn't go so well. <laughs> right? You, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't do You might. I, mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of leftovers. I, I, in fact, in my house growing up, we didn't even have them. Right? Because there was, there was enough. You know, like we, and in fact, I eat so fast now because I was scared I wouldn't get food. Like, I'm, and I still to this day, like, why am I eating so fast? Oh, yeah. My brother might steal it, or I might not get the next. I was like, I was worried about not having enough. So I'm, I eat super fast, and I really don't like leftovers. The other day, Linda and I went to Mahogany because somebody gave us a gift card to that wonderful place. We had a wonderful experience. It was absolutely breathtaking. The food was so good. And you know what we had? We had some leftovers. Actually, I didn't. Linda did. I was eating my steak because, again, I was afraid she might take some of it. Like, I'm not, this is mine. You know, how, how possessive I was getting with food I wasn't even buying. This is my, mine that I didn't even pay for. Isn't that kind of how it is with God? He gives us all this stuff, and we're like, no, this is my money. And yet what we read from the Bible is like, no, he gives all of it. He gives this to us, disperses it to us. Not evenly. 
So Linda had leftovers. We put it in the refrigerator. I don't know if she expected me to take it to work. Why don't you take that? No, this is leftovers. I don't care that it, right? I think she ended up eating it, which is fine. But God himself doesn't like leftovers. Do you notice that? Give me what's best, the, the, the best that you have, not the leftover stuff. Typically, that's how we do it with God. Whatever's left over, God, here's some, here's some stuff. This is left over. Hmm. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce, not the leftovers. Then and then will your barns be full. Vats will overflow. But you have to determine, is that verse trustworthy? Can I really trust that? Is that really going to happen? Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, should people cheat God? You, yeah, you've cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When did I ever cheat you? Well, you've cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for the whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If, so go ahead and circle that little word, if. If you do, you might not, but if you do, if you can trust me with your tithe, if you can, right, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up. So here's what he's going to promise to do. And again, is he lying to us or not? Is he just saying that for a reason? Maybe the streets of gold are super expensive and he just needs some more cash. But he's not, this is, he's not going to, right? I will open up the heaven, uh, windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That's crazy. God is actually telling me to trust him. If you don't believe me, then do it your own way, but you can trust me. Bring the whole tithe in. We've talked about the tithe. That's 10% of our income, and that's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. It's a big amount of money. And for some of us, we mean well. We, in fact, we kind of hoped that we started off the year in 2018. This is going to be the year I'm going to start tithing. And that we got a little maybe distracted or we forgot or we didn't punch in the numbers. And we're feeling like now after listening to these things, man, I wish I would have done that. I would encourage you. You might be able to do this. You might not be. But if you have put enough margin in your, in your bank account and all that kind of stuff, just make it up. Make it up. Here's what will happen. This will kick in the gear. What? Yep. It, he, you have to trust him on this. You might be able to do that. I, here's what I do think will happen to your heart. It will smile. And so will God. Now, once again, you have to decide, is God trustworthy? Luke 6, verse 38, Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Given will be given to you. You and I determine. You and I determine the scope. It all starts with whether or not I can trust Him. John Templeton, the billionaire founder of Templeton Group Mutual Funds, was asked at a press conference what the best investment was. 
that would be the question I'd probably ask. Like, if I, in fact, if I had a chance to talk to somebody who's super good with money, like, what's the, what's the best investment you ever made? Here's what Sir John Templeton said. Life's greatest investment is the tithe. Most reporters didn't even know what he was talking about. So they looked it up and researched it immediately. They had great respect for Templeton, who initiated the million-dollar annual Templeton Prize in 1972 for progress in religion. He was later knighted by Queen Elizabeth in 1987 for his philanthropic efforts. Most people don't realize that Sir John Templeton had a pretty meager start to life. He was born in a town called Winchester, Tennessee. He felt the call to Christian service, and he had been taught to tithe by his mom and dad. He graduated from Yale University, was a Rhodes Scholar. Templeton went on to say, listen to this, in 52 years before I retired as an investment counselor, we were helping hundreds of people with their wealth. In all those years, there was only one investment which ever never proved faulty, and that was the investment of tithing, giving at least 10% of your income to the church. He says, in all my history, I have never seen a family who tithes for as long as 10 years who didn't become prosperous and wealthy. Therefore, that is the best investment I can tell you to do. John Maxwell said, here's the bottom line. God says, you give me everything and I'll take care of you, or you can keep it and take care of yourself. We think that money is the secret to happiness. The more I have, the more secure, more happy, more content I'll be. If I had more, I'd just be happier, more content, more secure. And the weird thing is, Satan is the liar. He's not trustworthy. He's going to tell you that over and over and over again. Keep more, you'll be happy. Keep more, you'll be more secure. Keep more. And that's a lie. It's all a matter of choice. Will I choose to be faithful with what God has given me? Will I trust Him? You see, if I'm faithful to God with what He's given me, that truly is how money can work for me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for the challenge set before us. Not the challenge to give, the challenge to trust. For many of us in the room here, we have done exactly that. We've trusted You for our salvation. We've asked You to forgive us of our sins to bring us to heaven with you. We're so grateful that we've had a little struggle with trusting you with some money stuff. We still think it's ours. Sorry about that. Help us to be good stewards and faithful servants with what you've given us. Perhaps there's some folks here today, Lord, that are still on the fence, whether or not they can trust you. Get that? I hope that they, through this process of time, discover that you are exactly who you say you are. You're not going to lie to me. 
You're not going to cheat me. You're not going to hurt me. You're not going to run out on me. It is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. That is so attractive. So I pray that somebody may make that decision today, even now, to put their trust in you.